Okay. Hello, everyone. We are back. We've got another episode of The Soccer Dad Pod kicking off here. Um, running this one out of the gate with a little Zeppelin from Coda. Um, felt like a Zeppelin kind of day for me. Woke up, a little chilly, sunshine. It's kind of a good mood for a Monday, so I kept the music going with it. Uh, excited for today's conversation. <clears throat> um, we have an individual on the show today that um, knows a mountain's worth of uh, soccer history, insight, experience, names, relationships, Rolodex, all of that combined. So much so that it's in a book. And we're going to be talking about his book. Um, thank you for coming on today, Dave Lang. I appreciate your time. I know we've been trying to make this work for a while. And here we are in 2023, making it happen. Great. I'm glad we can connect. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I had been seeing uh, social media posts in the usual circles, uh, our soccer circles, because in true St. Louis style, you have a, a, a long list of friends that I am also friends with. And in watching some of the posts going into the fall, I noticed... Um, some mentions and references to this new book of yours. Uh, and the one that stood out was you were up at Amsterdam Tavern. Um, Amsterdam Tavern is actually my boardroom <laughs> you know, when, when, when I'm kicked out of my house. So I'm very familiar with the team and everybody there. And I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's a really you know, unique topic, a new thing, that being the book. Um, and your friend Jim Leaker. Uh, who is a regular at uh, the pub. Um, I happened to come in a couple days later, and I mentioned I saw the post. And here we are. So let's just, real quickly, why don't you start off with uh, a hello, and let's just kind of skim the book a little bit, and then we can dig into some details. Sure. Um, well, f um, hello. <laughs> first hello. of all, um, this is the second edition. The first edition came out in 2011. Okay. And so much has happened in the last, well, 12 years now that um, we really needed a second edition, and the timing was perfect with uh, St. Louis City starting um, and um, just a general resurgence in soccer interest in St. Louis. I mean, there's always been great soccer here, but it seems like the interest has just boomed in the last 12 years yeah. with the international games coming here and now St. Louis City. And uh, so it's, it's a great time uh, to get things brought up to date. Well, let's let's get some X's and O's out of the way for those that are listening uh, early on here. Um, title of the book and easiest place to pick it up, and then we can talk about the book beyond that. Uh, it's called Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital, published by Reedy Press, local publisher. Okay. They do a lot of local interest books. And um, it's available at all the Barnes & Nobles. Uh, Almost all the schnook stores are carrying it. They carry a display of Reedy Press books. Oh, great. There's some local bookstores like Left Bank Books and gift shops that carry it. It's on Amazon. So most of the usual places you can find it. Is it, is it on Audible? Uh, no, it's strictly hardcover book. Okay, so if it were on Audible, who would be the voice? Uh, probably have to be Bill McDermott. I mean, who else? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it makes total sense. Yes. Total sense. Um, so... Uh, edition one came out in 2011. Um, 
which was, uh, you know, for all, for all those of us that are close to the game here in St. Louis, we knew that we were still look on the outside looking into MLS. Um, there was not that there wasn't good soccer occurring. There was, but there was definitely uh, collegiate level locally things like that. We were we were kind of missing the mark a little bit. Um, what I would love to hear about is from 2011 to now. Talk about what you've seen. Um, you know, some of the catalysts and some of the bigger events and some of the players and the games and the teams. You know, talk about this last 12 years and what it's meant. You know, to St. Louis soccer. Um, well, the last 12 years. You know, starting with um, the Chelsea Man City game coming here. Um, I mean, they sold that out almost instantly. Yeah. And then a couple months later, Real Madrid plays here, 54,000 people, the biggest crowd to oversee a soccer game in Missouri. Uh, and then um, Jim Cavanaugh takes over to Soccer Park, um, be, uh, takes Scott, you know, Scott Gallagher under his wing, brings a men's professional team here, more international games, um, people taking notice saying, outside of St. Louis saying, wow, they're drawing a lot of people for these games. Um, that might be a good spot for an MLS team. They've always wanted one here. The problem was there was never anybody with the money to do it. Yeah. So um, and once that all fell into place, almost miraculously with the Taylor family and Jim Cavanaugh coming forward, um, it was like a, a snowball going downhill. It just kept bigger, bigger, bigger. Yeah. So we've, we, me and my other co-host, uh, guests on the show, and a ton of off-the-record conversations, we've talked about this particular ownership group you know in, in relation to so many of the other MLS teams and other owners Cronky um, <laughs> and I, I don't think our local market our local soccer market what I would consider the more new or g- generic soccer fan really understands how powerful this ownership group how dedicated to the game they are you know, compared to other ownership groups, um, not only from a bottom line standpoint, uh, the, the combined wealth is off the charts, but really their understanding of the game. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you think their impact is going to have on this team, not only out of the gate, but, you know, do, do you think that our, quote, learning curve entering into the league is going to be shorter because of the ownership group? Or not, you know, talk about your opinion on them. Um, you know, I don't think they knew a whole lot about soccer when I got into it. But the thing I really like about them is they're so committed to making this a local enterprise. I mean, not just the ownership group, but look at the food vendors they've come into the stadium. They're all local people. Um, they really seem committed to remaking that part of downtown St. Louis and sort of resurrecting the city, bringing it back. Um, so I'm really impressed with their commitment to the city itself. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really the location alone, you know, choosing that plot of land that we've all driven past thousands of times. Like, this is the dumbest ramp ever. Don't even, have no idea where it really goes. And now here it is, the, that incredible campus. Um, have you have you had the opportunity to go around to some of the other MLS stadiums and academy sites and you know thoughts on comparing and contrasting what what we have rolling out to some of these other locations? I've been to a game in Colorado and uh, that stadium. It's interesting contrast. It's way out 
uh, in the suburbs. Yeah. And it's so it's not that easy to get to. One thing that shocked me when I went into the game there, the parking was free. Oh this God. is Dan Kroenke's team and parking's free. You know? <laughs> oh, nice. So uh, he, he must have lost a bat or something. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And Kansas City, I haven't been in the stadium, but I've been around it. It's a great stadium. Again, though, it's it's in the suburbs. And yeah. we're one of the few teams that have a stadium right in the city. Yeah. And it's easy to get to from everywhere. Because I think no matter where you put the city, somebody's going to complain, you know. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we were briefly talking about um, uh, my trip over the holidays. And, you know, we, we were in Spain and Barcelona in particular, and then Madrid at the very end. Um, you know, when you think about those stadiums, the Bernabeu and, and Camp Nou, they're, they're smack dab in the middle of everything. And that's true of 90% plus of European stadiums, especially those iconic stadiums. And... You know, the MLS, what St. Louis has done is really, it, it's almost like an homage to how those stadiums do it. Put it in the city, put it around the people, you know, and, and it looks like it fits. That's, that's one of the things I love about the stadium. It doesn't look out of place architecturally, the finishes, etc. You know, it's when you were there, because you were there for the Leverkusen game, correct? Yes. yes. Um, we've talked to a few other people that were there. How, how did you feel being obviously a lover of the game and around St. Louis soccer in particular your whole life? Um, how did you feel walking in there that night with the teams taking the field and the crowd that was there? You know, talk to me about that experience uh, and what it meant to you. Well, being an old guy who's been around <laughs> a lot of soccer in St. Louis way back in when, when the soccer stars played here in North American Soccer League, I mean, they're playing at Bush Stadium and drawing maybe 10,000 people, 15,000 people in a 50,000-seat stadium. Right. So it looks empty. Then they're playing their home games at Francis Field, which at that time was not a good place. Part of the sta- uh, stands are actually condemned and yeah. been roped off. So, I mean, it was just seeing that new stadium and relating it to what I'd seen in the past, it was like, this is like Nirvana, you know, it's... People who are younger do not realize how lucky they are to have a facility like that. I mean, it's, the sight lines are unbelievable. Yeah, you're right on top of the action. Um, you've got a passionate crowd. I mean, the St. Louisans and the other supporters groups filling up that north end. It's, yeah, it's a fab. It was a fabulous experience that night. So, was there? Um, did you have the same experience many of us did when you were in the stadium? What did it mean to you? Because I have to assume that no matter what direction you looked, you saw somebody that you knew and there was a soccer person or maybe that you knew they were a soccer person but didn't know them personally. How did how did it make you feel like being part of it? You know what I mean? Like where you saw ex-players, ex-coaches, you know, and, and, and what that means to St. Louis. Um, the best experience I've ever had a soccer game one of your four, uh, previous guests, Steve Petcher, would tell you oh, yeah. the arena was like an unbelievable place. But that's indoor soccer, but it's indoors, 18,000 people. There were games, I covered them for the St. Louis Globe Democrat. Okay. I could actually feel the building shaking. So, I mean, I have, didn't feel that at St. Louis City Stadium, but I think we'll have that feeling once the games get going and, you know, people, it's warm weather and people are not freezing to death and they're hanging out and having a good time. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to the chanting and just that whole atmosphere and making it a place where visiting teams do not want to come to. 
Yeah, it's it's going to be loud, um, you know, in, in that style. And we do have a passionate. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, baseball, right? Everybody talks about Cardinal fans and how they're the most educated in baseball. And you know, where else can you get a standing ovation for a sacrifice bunt? <laughs> right. Right. Um, I predict that we're going to see some of that from a soccer standpoint because we do. We we have probably an unusually large percentage of uh, attendees that are soccer people that have played the game or are close to the game. Um, you, do, do you envision kind of that uh, an, an educated populace, so to speak? Or are we just, are we, do you think we're going to be rowdy and just running at you? You know, that's a great question because I'm really wondering how many, how people, how much people actually understand about MLS. Right. I think we know more about European soccer than we do about MLS because it's on TV every Saturday and Sunday and right. everybody and the World Cup was just here. So it's going to be interesting to see how people react to MLS because I think for many people, even though they know soccer, this is a new experience. I mean, the, if you've ever read the roster rules, I mean, you have to be a lawyer to understand them. It's well, crazy. All of that is, uh, well, a uh, perfect example. Um, today, I'm assuming you probably saw the yeah. post, the signing, homegrown player, Caden Glover. Right. Amazing kid. Um, he is an 07. I mean, that's crazy. I have an 08. Mm-hmm. And the two of them played and trained together. And Caden's, he's a man. Um, but... They announced it. They showed him with Lutz signing the contract, and it's our first homegrown. And immediately I had three people text me, what's homegrown? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. You know, yeah. M- MLS has, you know, so many nuances within its structure that a lot of people just, I think it's going to take them a long time, if ever, to really understand it. And, and my, t- my take on homegrown is simply, it's almost like right of first refusal. You know, you, you, you mark your territory, this is our youth, and the city now kind of owns the rights to Caden's future, you know, and, and which could be uh, first team presence, you know, in the future, uh, could be a transfer to Europe, could be a lot of different things. And those kind of nuances, uh, soccer fans here, they're going to they're gonna need to like slowly figure that out because it is unique to MLS uh, in a weird way. Yeah. I think what people will really relate to is if they do what they say they're going to do, is that being a hardworking, high-pressing, exciting team. I mean, the last thing you'd want to see is a team making 25 passes before they go to goal, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it, I, I, now, in fairness, full transparency, I'm a Chelsea fan, so parking the bus and winning Champions League trophies is not a bad thing. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I get it. We... We the way the kids are already training, the way City Two played, um, Hack, Hack's role as coach at that level, and Lutz's preferences, we're going to see a very high energy team that is going to be pressing ninety minutes. So it's going to be for those that are new to the game, it will be probably more entertaining than a. Uh, cerebral team (laughs) knocking the ball around you know to the tune of 90% possession but um, so what let's talk about the league let's talk about the team Uh, because one thing that you mentioned in your book is uh, part of the title is uh, America's soccer capital or first soccer capital and on social media I tend to like to take the gloves off (laughs) 
for, for fun, of course, uh, specifically with Kansas City soccer people, because they have this insane notion that they are America's soccer capital. Can you explain once and for all why they're wrong and why we are? If you go to the back of the book and look at the uh, data <laughs> and the page that has the number of people from St. Louis who play for the national team, right. 77. Um, I mean, that says it all right there. I mean, I, I, Kansas City, I, I hate to knock it because it's a great town and sure. they sell out all their games. It's good barbecue. Uh, right. And um, the development hasn't been there. I mean, they turn on a few players, but I mean, look at the last World Cup, you know, Josh Sargent, Tim Reed. Yeah. There were games when we had two guys starting for the United States. Yeah, not only from the same club, from no same less. high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. the parents probably in the same bowling league at some point, you yeah, know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, just when I started to write the second edition, I started with the premise that what happened to St. Louis soccer? Why well, was in such bad shape in 2011? Because we'd lost the Athletica, the women's professional team, mm-hmm. and AC St. Louis, the men's professional team in the same year. And when I started talking to people who knew what they were talking about, like Steve Trichu and Mike Sorber, like, St. Louis has always been a great soccer town. I mean, we turn out players all the time. Even in these supposedly dark days of the early 2010s, we're still turning out great players. So, I mean, St. Louis has always been a great soccer town uh, from that aspect. Well, so I think I read somewhere, you you may or may not know this, it might be obvious, uh, but... Since 1950, is, is, isn't it true that the U.S. national team in any World Cup has always had at least one St. Louis player on the roster? Uh, not quite, because there were, um, after 1994, it was like a dead spot in there. I mean, um, Brian McBride was from St. Louis, but he's from Chicago. Yeah. So Hoffman, he doesn't, doesn't quite count. So there's a gap from 1994 up until uh, actually 2014 when Brad Davis played. Oh, it was that big of a gap? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's nobody from St. Louis. I mean, there were people like Brian McBride, obviously. St. Louis influences. From St. Louis University, but yeah. not from St. Louis. So. But can we argue or at least agree that since 1950, Kansas City's way down the list from us? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> In terms of developing players, yes, yes. Yeah, it's funny because when you do start getting into jousts with uh, sporting KC fans on some of these fan pages, it's, it's, I, it's awkward because when you do go to the tape, right, tail of the tape, just bring us some statistics. Give us a name, one name. We'll, we'll be good with that. It just never happens. Yes. It's, it's always like, hey, you Cardinal fans. Well, then it's like, well, you're a Royals fan, you know? <laughs> really? It's like, yeah. and they, so I'll give them the Chiefs, but, you know, at right. the end of the day, this, this concept. I was hoping that St. Louis would land in the Eastern Division because it made more sense for me. I would rather Chicago be our rival, you know, than sporting thoughts care either way or in terms of travel budgeting i'd certainly rather be in the east i know that yeah They're making all those trips way out west oh um, it's gonna be brutal i mean it's great I, I, there's so many natural rivalries i mean kansas city chicago we're not that far from nashville and columbus yeah um, so there's a lot of teams within a, a couple hours drive of here so i think we could have some really good rivalries starting up um as far as what division they're in it didn't really matter to me i mean i'm, yeah. I'm just happy we've got a team yeah. So so let's talk, let's talk um, Lutz um, and the staff and the early activity 
player selection, etc. Um, you know, because here here we are, <laughs> because being a St. Louis soccer person, when you when when you hear oh we're going to get a professional team and all this stuff, there are a lot of individuals that were like oh we're going to you know a St. Louis coach and a St. Louis GM and right out of the gate, Carolyn and the ownership group they didn't do that. They they went a whole different direction with Lutz Pfeffenstiel as the director of the team. What what are your thoughts about how he's been approaching it, the type of players, the type of messaging? Because it's not St. Louis. It's not a bunch of St. Louis guys talking about St. Louis soccer. This is a global influence that is running our team. How do how do you feel about what he's done to date, and what do you, what are some of your thoughts as to the players and moving forward? The important thing about Lutz is when he came here, he didn't come here with the attitude like I know everything about soccer. He was very humble, and people I've talked to at the clubs said they were impressed that he reached out to them specifically and talked to them. And uh, the first experience I had with them, I went to college with Tim Twalman uh, sure. at SIU Edwardsville, and Tim works for the club. And one day, I was when I was trying to set up an interview with Taylor, uh, I went through Tim because you know Tim being a dad. Sure. And he said, "By the way, would you like to talk to Lutz?" And I said, "Sure." You know, so we called and. It was just a get acquainted conversation. And several times he said, you know, if you think I'm doing anything wrong, let me know. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, like more about soccer than, <laughs> way more about soccer than I do. And you're, right. you're telling me that. But I thought he had a very humble attitude. And, you know, he took the time to meet people and learn about the city rather than just coming in and, you know, taking over and throwing his weight around. I was very impressed with that. How, how do you, how are you warming up to the early player selections, the, you know, we talked briefly about the anticipated style of play. You know, what what's your gut tell you out of the gate? You know, uh, reasons to be excited, concerned, uh, you know, ambivalent. Where, where are you on the player side moving forward? You know, it's really hard to see till you actually see them play in sure. an MLS game. But one thing I've tried to tell people is, you know, this isn't like you can go out to the soccer park and sign five guys from Scott Gallagher or Lou Hughes or whatever. This is a world game, an international game. Um, so you're going to get talent from all over the world. You have to have that perspective. That's that's your drawing point. You know, you're right. not just drawing from St. Louis. So I think I, I'm happy with the fact that they've gone outside of the country to bring in players. Um, I think they've made a really honest effort to scout a lot of people worldwide and come up with some interesting signings. Mm-hmm. They're not. I mean, when I talked to Lutz, he said. The first time I talked to him, he's, you know, I, I didn't bring it up. He said, people think we're going to go out and sign Messi, you know. <laughs> I can guarantee you we're not going to sign Messi. Well, you know, those, <laughs> those, those whack jobs across the state thought they were going to sign Ronaldo. So, you know, we've talked about them. I'm assuming you saw that. Yeah. Like, there was no way. Zero percent chance. You know, when he's being offered basically a quarter billion dollars, you know, that just wasn't going to happen. But um, Lutz... I love what he's doing, and I think to your point, um, understanding that the game is a global game, MLS has certain rules and and mechanisms that allow you to go overseas and build these teams. Uh, you know, and, and how he has avoided using the designated player, uh, another kind of MLS thing. Um, it it really is inspiring to me because it's it's it, it tells me he's super focused on this style. On this style of play, bringing in a balance of 
uh, players that have uh, European experience in particular to mentor, really, this integration of new players. That That's what I'm excited about. Um, and the other thing is just, to, you know, tell me if you kind of see the same thing or, um, you know, when you look at a lot of other MLS teams, there's this huge what I call the CONCACAF effect or CONCACAF influence, uh, Central South American players. It seems as if our player base is leaning more Euro than than Latin. Thoughts on that? Uh, I'm, I was happy to see that because um, I think people will relate to this more as an international game when you have people, because they watch so much European soccer. You know, here we've got some guys from the Bundesliga coming over and um, people at that level. Um, I'm, I'm happy that they're, they're taking a, a sort of a Euro route. Um, and the guy they signed from the Kaiser Chiefs, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah. Because I've... I've just because of the name, I'm, it's a unique name, and I follow them a little bit, and I was happy to see that they got somebody from there too. So, so let's talk real quickly then, uh, from a player standpoint. Um, the thirtieth pick they took from SLU. Um, oh my God, I'm Klein, Josh yeah, Klein. Josh Klein. Thank you. And then obviously now, with at the other end of the spectrum, the news that came out today with Caden Glover as a homegrown player. Um, on previous episodes, we've talked about what it will mean, what will happen whenever a St. Louis player, you know, ultimately and eventually lands on that team and starts to run. Uh, one, one of the comments I saw today on, I think it was on Instagram, there was a bunch of, and, and, and kind of looking at the profiles, it was kids, it was teenage kids that were playing at the local clubs, and immediately they're like, I need Caden's jersey. I need Caden's jersey. You know, what, what, what do you think or, or what do you see in happening with, that first St. Louis player that really steps on and becomes integral to what City does on the field, what what kind of status are they going to have immediately in the St. Louis soccer scene? Because we all we love we love our guys, right? Tim, uh, Sergeant in the World Cup. It's like you know whether you like the game or not. If you're a St. Louis and you love them, what do you talk talk about? when St. Louis players are playing on the St. Louis team in that league in our stadium? I think it creates an instant identification with the team because um, guys are like under the age of 25, you know, or, or, and women, guys and gals were playing, they know Caden. You know, let's go see Caden play. Yeah. You know, and if, he's, if he actually gets in some games, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a lot more, I think, enthusiasm than if it's just 11 guys they've never heard of, you know. So yeah. that's important. Um, my crazy idea six months ago before he started having a good season was, man, they could sign Josh Target, you know, oh. local guy, forward face of the team, you know. Wow. Um, obviously, I don't think that's going to happen because no. he's doing really well. Yeah, his and, star got a little brighter. Yeah, and I, I, I thought maybe Tim Ree might come here for kind of finish out his career, but my God, that guy's having such a great, great season. So, true story, this was about two years ago or so, um, over at Amsterdam Tavern, um, a friend brought Tim in, and we were we were doing kind of a live show down there, similar, it's just a soccer podcast live, watching a game and just talking, and he brought Tim in, and Tim agreed to jump on and uh, let me and Rob Stelzer uh, have a chat with him, and I brought that up. I'm like, okay, let's let's. These stars seem to be aligning, Tim. You you're local. Uh, you've had a tremendous career. You continue to play at a high level. 
uh, you heard we just got a new team, you know, talking about City SC coming down the pipe. And it just so happened that the timing of his, of his contract at the time is the one that is ending now. And I brought all that up. And he point blank respectfully said, that is not my goal. My goal is continue to play at the highest level possible. And if I can stay even in the championship, that's a higher level than going back to MLS. And at first, you know, a couple people there after the fact, they're like, well, that seems a little odd or it seems a little dismissive. But, you know, that, that's the truth. That's the reality of the situation right now. Yeah. Um, so I guess here's where I'm going with this. MLS continues to improve. Uh, it continues to become more competitive uh, in, you know, within the league and, and regionally in some of these friendly tournaments, etc. What do you think it's going to take to get it over the hump to instead of signing the, the quote designated star players from Europe at 34, 35, 36, what do you think MLS needs to do to legitimately see these players in their mid twenties? Um, <clears throat> I think it, it needs um, these teams to be successful when they play outside the league in uh, cup competitions. Um, in, I guess the uh, North American and South American teams. I mean, they have to be the best, I think, in their hemisphere first for people outside of the United States or the so-called soccer aficionados start taking them as a serious top five league. I mean, I've read that, that they're maybe the 10th best team in the world. I don't know how accurate there it is, but obviously they're not on the same level yet with the elite leagues. Yeah. So it takes them... <clears throat> proving that they can play on the same field and not just play on the same field but dominate the teams in this hemisphere I think that's going to be a big difference in making MLS more more respect well more well respected yeah 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 I agree yeah well I tell you what it's uh halftime here um and the line has shrunk uh all that little chatter in the background people is St. Louis Bread Company I don't call it Panera we're at St. Louis Bread Company here uh Dave looks thirsty. We're going to get him some coffee here real quick, and uh, we'll be right back to talk more about the book, uh, about soccer history, and who knows where this goes. So uh, we'll be right back. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. JB here with the Soccer Dad Pod. This break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity. Little did you know that we are accepting sponsors. Really. And as a sponsor of the show, you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com. Now, Back to the mindless banter. All right, we're back. I am uh, purposefully playing this rock and roll classic anthem, Wind of Change from the Scorpions. Here, you, you, everybody remembers this, remember? Right? For sure. It's uh it's funny. This the song has come up a few times um 
recently for me for different reasons. Um, number one, there's a podcast out called Wind of Change on uh, all the usual suspects, Spotify, though. And if you're a espionage, CIA, Cold War lover, it's an unbelievable podcast because the premise is very simple where it started. Um, the host of the podcast had friends that were in uh, clandestine services. Uh, and the theory is that he's exploring, and I'm not to the end of it yet, is that the CIA wrote that song, Wind of Change, for the Scorpions, a German heavy metal band, during 89-90 to help try and win the Cold War. <laughs> so, Wind of Change, and we all know what happened. We all saw the videos of the Berlin Wall falling and all that, and you could not get away from that song. And uh, joking with a friend the other day, we were talking about the podcast and the song, and he's like, ah, oh, you know, it's kind of like soccer in America. Like, it's all changing, Right. You know, in, in you know, in the first half of the show today, um, you know, Dave, you and I were talking about kind of city SC, and not we we didn't use the term changing of the guard, but let's be clear, there is a definitive changing of the guard, you know, within the St. Louis soccer scene. Um, so, what I want to do now is kind of open it up a little bit, and we skipped right past your own background, to, you know. You tell me, you know who who are you? Where are you from? You know what, your, your initial love affair with the game. Where'd that all kick off? You know, and and walk us up to, you know this this huge endeavor that you've taken on in 2011 and now with the second edition of the book to write these books. You got to be a special person and have a special love affair with not only the game but this city to do that. Where'd that all come from? Um, I grew up in St. Louis, and if you grew up in St. Louis, you grew up with soccer, right? I mean, even, even though I didn't play on a organized team, um, we play pickup soccer a lot. We just almost as often as we'd play football or baseball. I yeah. grew up in Kirkwood. I went to Vianney at a time when they didn't have a soccer team. Okay. The basketball coach was Mike Villa. Oh, okay. Who was you know, T- turned into wound up being the head coach and winning seven state championships at Vianney. Uh, so. I was a Granite City kid, so uh, I played under Gene Baker. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very familiar with Coach Villa. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing team. Yes. Uh, and so um, uh, when I was in high school, I played football. And uh, when I was a senior, they needed somebody to write up about our football games. For that time, the weekly journal newspapers were big in St. Louis. They had their own sports section. So I started writing that, and that's how I got into journalism. Okay. Um, and then um, when I worked at the journal, um, the sports editor, a guy named Greg, Greg Marisak, didn't really want me to go away <laughs> so he actually contacted Bob Gelker who was a soccer coach at SIU Eversville SIU had the only journalism program in St. Louis right and said I've got this guy you know you think you can help him out and he and Bob bless him bless his soul gave me one of his tuition waivers to go to SIU so nice I worked in sports information and at that time SIU was one of the top couple two three teams in the nation it was always done in St. Louis Shoe every year. Yeah. Um, so through that experience, I met Bob Gelker, Pat McBride was the assistant coach, all the guys at, in that era who came through, like Greg Villa and Tim Twalman, and later on after I left, Don Ebert, guys like that. I mean, that was a they were producing tremendously uh, uh, talented soccer players. Yeah, we had uh, Ed Gedemeyer. Yes, <clears throat> Eddie on was the show. Eddie was on the team with uh, Don Ebert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, there's tremendous, you know, when most people think of uh, 
um, collegiate soccer in St. Louis. Obviously, SLU is, you know, the, the first breath. Um, the second breath, if you're truly a St. Louis soccer person, is usually one of the JUCOs, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the third is, is inevitably SIUE and what occurred you know, during those years, et cetera. Yeah, and being at SIU and write, uh, and also writing about soccer for the journal, I had to talk, I had to also write about St. Louis Shoes, so I got to meet Harry Keough. I mean, what a great guy Harry was. I mean, you could call him any time of the day or night, and he would talk to you. Yeah. Um, and Ty Keough, um, Dan Flynn, oh, wow. who was playing then, and, uh, you know, those all those great players, Danny Counts, um, Wow, I mean Altrost. I mean, what a what a lineup they had. I mean, I remember uh, I was talking to John Carenza, who's the leading scorer in SIU Oldsville history, played in the late '60s at SIU, and he said St. Louis's second team could have beaten anybody in the country, much less their first team. Yeah. So I mean, SIU and St. Louis were just great teams. I'm so Quincy. Um, so I got covering all those people. I got to know all those guys when I went to the Globe Democrat um, when the Steamers came. Pat McBride specifically asked the sports editor, hey, could Dave cover us? And bless Pat's soul. And uh, so through that, again, I got to meet all those guys who I, not just guys I knew from college who were playing for the Steamers, but guys who came in, Slobolievsky, what a, he's like one of the most memorable people I've ever met. Yeah. And Tony Glavin, people like that. Carl Rose. Carl Rose. Redmond Lane. Carl Redmond, uh, you know, great, great guys. Um, So through that, I, you know, met all those guys, wrote about soccer. I wrote for Soccer America magazine as well. <laughs> um, and then when the Globe Democrat went into business, I went into corporate public relations. Um, but um, I started coaching my son's team and uh, at Bush. So I coached that team for 12 years. And then uh, out of the blue, Reedy Press decided to do a, a book about the history of soccer in St. Louis. At that time, Jeff Cooper was trying to get an MLS team in St. Sure. Louis. Granite he, City guy. Yes. Uh, and he approached uh, Reedy Press to do a book he wanted to have it ready for when his MLS team started. Oh, wow. So they started contacting writers, and that's how I got involved writing that book. So, so it's been a long, strange trip. Yeah, well, okay, so to prep for first edition, <clears throat> did, 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 do you keep copious notes? Did you already have kind of the book written in a sense through your years of writing and your own notes? Did you Did you have... Uh, the template and everything ready to go or going into the request was there a particular angle or a message or something that you were trying to achieve with the book uh, outside of what you had already done as a writer? Well I was fortunate in all those years of covering soccer I'd made all these uh, contacts and relationships with key soccer people in town Sure. Um, and so not that I was a genius or an expert at knowing about the history of soccer but through them I learned about it, uh, and there would never been a book done about the history of soccer in St. Louis. The only thing that had ever been done was a Ph.D. dissertation by uh, the baseball coach at St. Louis U High, hmm. uh, and I got a copy of that, but it only went up to 1965. So, I mean, I knew these people, and I could contact them and get the interviews, but the facts were really difficult to find. Luckily, the archives at SIU Edwardsville has a huge collection of historical soccer material that was collected over the course of almost 80 years by uh, uh, a guy named Hap Meyer. And he, actually he was related to Monsignor Meyer, 
who was the a big soccer guy in St. Louis. I mean, at Mary Magdalene Parish. I mean, he was and with the CYC, mm-hmm. he gave all that stuff to SIU. And over the course of about two weeks, I went through all these boxes of stuff. Uh, had a lot of great information. So it, it was a lot of a lot of legwork, a lot of interviews, and a lot of a lot of uh, looking through all this microfiche and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, so if you. If you don't do uh, follow Dave Ling on Twitter or any of the other socials, because this is really kind of a comment and a question rolled all into one, and I think you might have just answered it, but almost on a daily basis, in fact, it is a daily basis, you put out a, on this day in, uh, just statistics and stories going as far back as, I believe I saw one from late 1800s, you know, on this day, and you know, this team played this St. Louis team. How how do you manage literally 120, 30, 40 years worth of these soccer uh, tidbits of info and really our history? How do you manage that? You know, and and you know, how do you choose between all of it? You know, is how do you do you have favorites or what's the process in in putting out this information on our soccer history? Well, the key development for any historian in the last twenty years has been a searchable database. It's now all the newspapers are online. All the St. Louis newspapers are online back to before the Civil War, so you can just enter some keywords and you come up with stuff. That's a big. I mean, it's huge. That's uh, how people found out that the first game was played here in 1875 at uh, Sportsman's Park. And there's actually a mention in an advertisement of a soccer game in 1872. Really? So, um, I mean, it just goes back years and years and years. But that searchable database has been a huge help for researchers. And in the last 10 years, some really good books have come out about the history of soccer. Uh, a book called Distant Corners, uh, which kind of breaks down soccer by location and by subject subject and there's a big section on st louis in there um there's some other great books that have come out in the last 10 years um and through those databases we found some interesting things like um the first league in st louis was in 1884 it's three years before there was a league in england wow that's unbelievable and then was it on the hill (laughs) one block against the next block yeah and it was a a league called the western association oh wow some uh, irish teams some scottish teams and a german team um and then that same year um a team from canada played here at christmas day against the st louis team and i didn't know this until i started talking to people i know in the world of soccer history and they said we think that's the first international soccer game ever played in the United States. Wow. We have no record of any other international game played here before that. So St. Louis has had all these great milestones that I don't think everybody really knew about until we had this option, this ability to search databases and, and find out this stuff. So did, did in <clears throat> the creation of the book, creating the book, doing the research for the book, did it take you uh, two other cities, two other regions, or even potentially other countries, uh, four stories, four player engagement, um, you know, and through that process, uh, do, do you ever engage other regions, um, not, not combatatively, but comparing and contrasting what St. Louis means to soccer 
to say, well, Kansas City, we were joking about that earlier, but more more relevant, say, like uh, Jersey or Philly or some of these other cities. Has that occurred at all in the process of writing the book? It all relates back again to this uh, the phenomenon of online um, options of getting things. I mean, people started seeing my book or seeing my posts online. Historians, not just in here in St. Louis, but in other countries, they would be contacting me, you know, we knew St. Louis was a great city. You know, can you tell us more about this particular thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, every year, when the, the anniversary of the 1950 game comes around, you know, invariably you'll get a message from somebody writing a book for, uh, writing a story for some news media outlet, wanting to know more details about that. Right. So, uh, again, it's it, that it's that global reach of online communication that really revolutionized how research is done and how things are followed up uh, once it's come out so so through the through the process um and the conversations what stands out to you uh be it a player um a story you know is there any story that just really kind of like maybe off the record (laughs) somebody's like oh my god this is a character you know you might know him for his pks but this you know is is there anything that just is like your favorite uh quip in in researching for the book um as far as like people i wasn't aware of until i just started doing research um there's a guy named tom cahill who lived in st louis for about 40 years he founded the u.s soccer federation wow. he brought the first team from england to play in the united states while he was in st louis um, he was very instrumental in building soccer into a um, well-organized sport in St. Louis. Um, and then after him, uh, probably the person I'd like to know more about, and Harry Keel raved about him all the time, was a guy named Billy Gonzalez, who's from the East Coast. He played here with Sticks, Baron Fuller for about six years. They won three consecutive Open Cups oh, wow. and reached the Open Cup Finals six years in a row. And everybody who saw him play said he's the best player, American player ever, hands down, better than Bailey. Wow. Well, uh, I would like to know more about him. Yeah, re- repeat the name again real quick. Billy Gonzalez, G-O-N-S-A-L-V-E-S. And anybody who played at St. Louis U for Harry will tell you that Harry would just rave about this guy. Really? Because he, he saw him play, and his brother played with Billy Gonzalez. So, so along those lines then, you know, you mentioned that you were kind of the beat, the beat writer so to speak, for the steamers, correct? Right. Uh, we had Patch on uh, prior to the holidays telling some of those early day stories. Uh, how involved in the debauchery were you <laughs> post-game, post-post-game? Um, you know, talk about those days where the Checker Dome, the old barn, was just on fire. And how much fun was it? You know, oh, it was it was the best time I've ever had in soccer. And I, the other day I posted something about the steamers and Petch put something on there about the best time ever for soccer. And he's right. I mean, just imagine Tim Ream playing for the St. Louis Ambush. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like. These were the best players in the country playing here for the Steamers. National team players. Ty Keo and Steve Petcher. Um, John Stremel, an Olympic player. I mean, Don Ebert, who was on the Olympic team, and unfortunately didn't get to play because we boycotted the Olympics that year. Right. I mean, guys at that level were playing in the arena. These were like almost, most of the roster was all from St. Louis. So chances are, you know, 
everybody in the arena knew somebody on that team yeah. personally. So, so then in, in, in bouncing around the soccer scene, you know, the, the, they, they, they were gods. I remember as a kid watching, you know, going into the game and, you know, you, you, would, you would always get the little orange inflatable soccer ball. And, you know, it was the music. It was the pomp. It was the chaos. When, when that went away... You know, were you still covering soccer at the time when when the steamers disbanded, and what was next? And you know, how did that transition make you feel, or what did you think was going to happen to St. St. Louis soccer at that point? Um, I left the newspaper business in 1884 when the steamers were still here. I mean, okay. I went to watch them play a lot. Okay. Um, but what was missing? There was no outdoor option for these guys because the North American Soccer League folded in 1984 for like 10 years. There was no outdoor league here. Right. So all these great players like Steve Trichu, uh, Mike Sorber, when they were coming up through college, there was no outdoor option for these guys. Um, so it was a huge gap of no soccer outside of the college level. Um, you know, there's some minor league outdoor soccer, but these great players you know Steve Tritchie told me like when he went to the World Cup in 1990 every everybody's goal was get a job with a European team yeah because there was no no nowhere to go in, in, in the United States uh, Brian McBride and, right uh, John Van Busker exactly. you know some of the others in, mm-hmm. in that time frame yeah so following and doing all the research and obviously such a hyper focus on st. Louis you know, going back to the whole wind of change, right? Um, and we were briefly talking about this at the break. Um, how does it make you feel, you know, uh, or what are you projecting your feelings to be moving forward with this new wave of youth players, the Caden Glovers of the world, uh, with that stadium, with everything that's occurring, with not only the popularity of the game globally and, and, and that's trickling down into normal American suburbs. You know, talk about St. Louis moving forward. Where do you think we're positioned? You know, how excited are you? Or in, in any bold predictions on what it's going to look like moving forward? Well, it's like the great unknown. I, I, I really... <clears throat> I think about that a lot, and I'm like, I, I really can't say what's going to happen. Um, it's, you know, the, there's so much enthusiasm now, but I'm like, well, what's going to be like three years from now or five years from now? I'm still going to be as excited about it. So I think that's why it's so important that this team, when they take the field, plays the kind of style that they say they're going to play. Get people excited because uh, with anything, the newness is going to wear off at some point. Right. So it. Being realistic, you know, I want to see where this is at five years from now before I can really make a solid judgment on where we're going with the sport. What, I, what, I mean, you have to be realistic. I mean, soccer is not a big sport in the United States. I mean, you look at the uh, statistics and the polls. That come, I saw one recently, like 72% of adults don't care at all about soccer in right. the United States. I mean, we have to be realistic about that. It's yeah. a niche sport. So it's got a lot of work to do to get out there into the mainstream of, of America. I think it's in the mainstream in St. Louis, but outside of St. Louis, it's it's like, you know, the great unknown. Well, St. Louis, too, is <clears throat> we've seen it historically uh, time and time again with the, our other sports teams. 
we are educated about the, the teams we have, you know, baseball being the best example. But we are ruthless if you're not putting a good product on the field, <laughs> whether it's the ball diamond or the ice, you know, and that soccer pitch is going to be no different. Yeah, it's a results-driven business. I mean, sports is a results-driven business. You've got to, got to have the results. Yeah, I, I, I feel, um, you know, we we we've we've mentioned it, you know, with Lutz and the team strategy. I'm not afraid of that. You know, I've I've got other friends in other soccer cities, uh, Chicago in particular, a group of them that are, you know, talking a little smack <clears throat> on about time. You know, that kind of, <laughs> where have you guys been? Um, I just think that I think we're going to compete. I think we're going to do more than compete early on. Um, I, I think that the kind of that pedigree that we have within the water, so to speak, uh, is going to be kind of an X factor that a lot of people aren't going to really attribute as real, but I think it is. Um, so I'm really excited to see. I'm excited to see year one. You know, there, I, there's no reason we can't go out there and be competitive to the point of, uh, well, let me ask you, what do you think a successful season one would look like and what would be kind of like uh, the, the result, so to speak? Um, it would be a successful year. They're going to be successful at the gate no matter what they do. I mean, they've yeah. already sold, I think, every season ticket they can sell. Right. But I think, for me, success would be making the playoffs. Right. Um, you know, building that foundation going forward, having a, a good year, winning, you know, at least half the games, maybe, you know. I yeah. think people people are going to understand they're not going to go out and win MLS the first season. Although they could, who knows. Right. But I think making the playoffs would be a big, big thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think making the playoffs is um, reasonably a reasonable expectation. I mean, that sounds crazy, like for an expansion team year one. We're not a normal expansion city, though. Uh, the facilities and everything are absolutely top-notch, and the pedigree of the players that have already been selected have garnered uh, global success uh, with national teams and professional European uh, leagues already in the, at this point in their career. I think there's that, and, and I'm really excited for Johnny Klein in particular Anybody else with a St. Louis, you know, with a three-one-four background, they step on that field and they do. If, if they start producing, they're going to be rock stars. They're going to be kind of mini gods in our backyard, and that's really exciting to think about because, you know, there's a whole long pipeline <laughs> of plenty of kids that are going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, I know we talked about this being results-driven business, but the other thing about it, it's also a long-term thing. Yeah. You have 10-year-old 10, 10 kids going to the game and seeing this, you know, firsthand. It's like, wow, I want to do this when I grow up. You know, you're, it's a whole new generation of, of kids that could be inspired to, you know, play soccer and, and bring even greater glory to St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. And I, what I really love about one of the other things uh, City is doing you know, and really, the other clubs have been doing it for a while, too, and, and it seems like it's accelerating Gallagher in particular with their Upper 90 program, is these clubs and organizations are starting to reach, uh, measurably reach into the more urban environment, uh, the more depressed neighborhoods within the city, and, and, they're, and they're 
helping these neighborhoods, helping these families, helping these kids. I, you know, I see the potential of five, ten years down the road, a whole new group of soccer fans, soccer athletes that are that are coming from the from the belly of the beast, that being our city. You know, think think about Bevo, right? With with the Bosnian community there, that that's a market that is you know so many of those kids have already been uh, thriving uh, within the club scene, collegiate scene, etc. Now we have this organization that's doing the same thing with North of Delmar and in pockets of South City. With your um, you know uh, understanding of our marketplace, talk about. What, what you see happening in really we're expanding the game within our own backyard. How does that make you feel? Because most of these neighborhoods have been excluded for 50, 60, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see that City Futures program. There's also an organization in town called New Dimensions. It's been doing exactly what you said for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. They recently expanded in the North, the North City. Um, and the kids there are really excited. To get, I went to one of their... Uh, what they do is they have to play four on four, and they just you show up, you play. So I went to one of those uh, last October. It was really exciting to see all the kids in that part of the town coming out to play and their first exposure to soccer and talking to some of the people there. And I'm like, you know, this is great. You know, we've never we've never been exposed to this. Yeah. And it's it's it, it, there's a whole um, talent base there that hasn't been touched for years. Um, Tom Mickler, who's one of the guys who runs New Dimensions a couple years ago, told me, do you know that from Cronulet Park up Grand Avenue to Interstate 44, there's 22 different uh, immigrant groups. Yeah. 22 different countries in that one corridor. Yeah. And And, and these immigrant groups, their number one sport of choice is soccer. Right. Um, Yeah, it's really kind of like... It's almost like we're experiencing that, quote, wind of change, being cheesy on that. But, you know, pick your analogy. The baton is being tossed or passed along. All this is occurring in real time. And I don't think any of us are really keeping up with just how expansive the development and the future synergy is within the soccer community here. Mm-hmm. And historically, that's where the players have come from. Um, when the 18, 1800s, it was guys from Ireland, mm-hmm. guys from Scotland, guys from England. Then it was the guys from Spain. Then it was the guys from Italy. And then the Bosnians and, uh, and uh, Mexicans came in. Uh, Mexicans more earlier in, in, than the Bosnians. Um, Ruben Mendoza and the rest of the crew yes. on the east side of the river. Right, right. And then uh, obviously with people like Vidal Abisevic, who's yeah. a spectacular player, and many St. Louis may not realize that, but I mean. Well, he went to Roosevelt High. Right, exactly. Right. I, yeah. mean, I mean, he scores against Argentina in the World Cup. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah, you know? that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> he has a great resume, let's put it that way. I'm wondering if he's going to come here and work for City. It's interesting to see how that's going to turn out. You, you know, I mean, I, I this goes back to when the team rolled out, Lutz in particular, and the staff. I think they're going to they're, they're bring anybody in that is qualified to be there, mm-hmm. that, that will, will agree with the, um, uh, the, the model, the business model, um, so Vidad, yeah, he's a stud. He can play and he can score. 
um, is he a good fit for our team? We don't know. Right. Exactly. Be- because I think they're, they're, it seems to me that they are going to be results-driven out of the gate, um, and then everything else will be decided <laughs> at that point. It's easy for us to spend the owner's money, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a whole bunch of zeros. I mean, we could use a sponsor, uh, Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's, I, I want to ask your opinion. Um, we're coming off of the 2022 World Cup. Um, Messi finally got his trophy. Uh, the games were all over the board. There, you know, I, the, the, the three things that stood out to me about the World Cup, number one was the whole messy debate in winning. The second would be really um, the U.S. team. And <clears throat> in hindsight, now now knowing the news from Reyna and Berhalter and all that, like we, we had on paper talent, but it seemed like we didn't get the chemistry right, as is becoming even more evident after the fact. But then the third thing was really... It, um, the the role that the quote underdogs took in not only in the group stages but in the knockout stages Morocco in particular um, those three things stood out to me what's what's your favorites um, takeaways from this past World Cup from a player team game standpoint what stood out to you um, the first thing and you mentioned it is these non-traditional soccer teams did well you know, it's good to see. It's not the, you know, it's always Brazil and France and Germany. And Germany didn't even get another group. Right. I mean, and when people say, it's just awful the United States didn't go any farther. I said, well, try being in Germany right now. Or Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. Or Italy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who? I have some friends who've gone to Italy and they say it's like a national crisis. You oh, know, yeah. The soccer program. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we did what we had to do. We got out of our group, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, obviously, there's room for improvement, but the fact that they, first of all, qualified after the debacle in 2018, oh my God. and then getting out of the group, that was important. Uh, so they've got a good base to build on. Those players outside of Tim Ream are young, um, so they've got a good base to build on. I just hope this whole Rainia thing doesn't derail everything that's the good things that have happened. Do, do you think, because um, I, I don't see any path forward for Burhalter to maintain his position. So let's assume the short list have been made, um, new potential head coaches. Who do you like? Like what, either a name or a style of coach. What do you think is uh, the best fit for us moving forward? You know, I don't know if he would be interested, but Bob Bradley's always there. <laughs> and when Bob Bradley takes a team, who's his assistant coach? Mike Sorber. Yeah. So, I mean... They've got somebody there in the wings that they could call on if they wanted to, if he's interested in doing it. I don't know if he is or not. Do you think they'll go overseas? Um, I think that's probably going to be their first choice. I mean, the fact that they went after uh, Zidane Zidane, you know, that's kind of shows what their thinking is, I guess. Yeah. Tuchel's the name that I keep thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, he's, he's available. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Um, because the other part of the potential of a foreign national uh, European coach in particular um, you're not going to have the, the 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 mom and dad issues that we had, you know, recently. Um, and I think that the other reality of the situation is, you know, you look at our roster, you look at our top 18 to 26 pool. How many of those players are in Europe? Mm-hmm. You know, 90 percent, 95 percent of them. So having a European coach 
kind of makes sense. Absolutely. Stylistically. Yeah. There are a lot of those guys around, coaches. Yeah. You know, they could draw upon. Yeah. So, so the World Cup coming to an end. Uh, it was a great World Cup. Uh, we are looking at year one of City SC within the MLS. <clears throat> We've got a clear resurgence in uh, collegiate uh dominance slash competitiveness with Kalish and Slu. Uh, we've got Lindenwood is now going D1 to um, all these things are occurring. You know, what's what are you really looking forward to over the next year, two years out of this St. Louis soccer landscape? Like if you, you, you have your dream scenario, what does it look like? Um, well, obviously, it'd be St. Louis City winning MLS, maybe in their first or second year. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a, a dream come true. But for me, it's also exciting to see what's happening. We talked about the uh, outreach into the the urban areas of St. Louis for to kids who've never been exposed to it. That's going to be interesting to see where that goes. It, it may be the number one story in St. Louis soccer over the next five years. Does that happen? And what comes out of that? Yeah. No, that, I mean that's a great point because it's St. Louis is always look, trying to find a way to look for wins, um, athletically, uh, really in just about any sport we touch. Clearly, baseball, our youth baseball programs around here are are nationally relevant. Constantly putting out professional players. Our hockey scene is 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 just crunching out draft picks um we don't do bad in the nba either don't do bad in the nba we don't do bad in the nfl um soccer we 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 were talking about this earlier we are arguably one of the most influential cities in the nation as it come when it comes to developing players but st louis is a city we could we could stand to integrate more of the city mm-hmm. into that, that that process because all the other sports we mentioned uh, other than football, really, you have very few players on a team or on the court or on the field or on the ice, and they can't get to the ice because it costs seventy-two thousand dollars just to get the gear. But soccer is a global sport for a reason. You know, it's it's accessible. So I, I agree with you. I think it, the the more these orgs find a way to integrate the true neighborhoods in the city, that could be really really interesting. And the other thing we haven't even talked about. Um which I think is a potential for a big story. Are they going to bring an NWSL team here? Well, a women's soccer. I mean, we've got like two World Cup players from St. Louis. Yeah. You know, Becky Sauerbrunn, Lori Klupney. I don't know if Lori listens to your podcast. If she's listening around, she finds it's about time you brought up women's soccer. <laughs> I, hey, you know? I, she needs to check her text messages because there's been messages sent. I would love to have her on. So clearly, uh, if you wouldn't mind passing along a word, I would appreciate it. Um, and we, we have the World Cup coming up this summer. We, so. we just said this on the last podcast. One of the things, we were doing a recap of first season one, going into season two. And one of my comments was, we need more women on the show because that, you know, at the club level, um, here in, in St. Louis region in particular, our ECNL women, they, they are dominating. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are pumping out national championships, the pipeline of... The girls leaving the Gallagher and Fuse clubs, rolling into D1, D2 schools. I mean, it, it, it's it's like the tubes in London at rush hour. <laughs> They're all on that train. Yes, and um, <clears throat> St. Louis City has to find other ways to use the stadium. I yeah. mean, here again, we're spending the owner's money, but you know, a great option to get an NWSL team here playing. 
in that stadium yeah. in the summer. Yeah, because it's, um, you know, they're, they're proving it. They're proving it on the field, in the product. Um, right now, I think uh, there's four or five local St. Louis girls that are all in the uh, national team pool. Um, and it's just a constant rota- rotating cast of successes, and that should be illustrated. Inner city, more eyeballs on the women's side. Um, the men's side is going to do what it's going to do. Yes. Uh, I think it's going to continue to develop. I think it's going to get better. You know, we look at the clubs, and we look at what how these kids are training today. Just watching an average academy game at U13, 14, 15, it's amazing. I mean, there's, there's some of these... Uh, freshman eighth grade teams, they could beat most high school teams in the area. Yeah. Every time somebody asks me about St. Louis soccer, I go back to this quote I, uh, uh, I got from Shep Messing, oh, yeah. the great goalkeeper for the New York Cosmos sure. and the New York Heroes. And he played with a lot of St. Louis guys in the Olympic team and he played at Harvard, right? So I was talking to him about St. Louis soccer. He says, I had no idea until I played against these St. Louis guys. He said, they're the 800 pound gorilla. He yeah. said, they're big, strong, but technical. Uh, the, from that time period, yeah. Al Trost, you know those guys, uh, and Pat McBride, and, you know, the 800-pound gorilla of soccer. That's St. Louis. Yeah, it, it is, and it's been you know growing up here, being a part of it. You know, no, obviously yourself, your your career embedded you in it. <clears throat> um, this has been a lot of fun because it's uh, it really illustrates so many of the things that we talk about on the show often. Uh, in regards to being a homer towards St. Louis and the St. Louis players, past, present, and and more, most importantly, future. I think that the way that our our soccer scene is is structured right now, from the club level to the training level to the M- the MLS team, uh, all of the women's programs, uh, and just the general interest in it. I mean, how many how many bars and restaurants? Are now claiming we are a soccer pub, and you know, and the, you know, none of them are Amsterdam Tavern. Let's just get that clear. Uh, but for a pub willing to open its doors at 7 a.m. because it knows people are going to get up that early to watch a game, that's not normal. Well, the pictures of the street in front of Amsterdam Tavern <laughs> when the U.S. played in the World Cup it was unbelievable. Yeah, you would have thought Obama just got elected again. I mean, it was like it was like or presidential in the World War too, you know. Oh, it was crazy, and we 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 ventured down. I, I've been going there for so long; it's a joke because I'm very tight with the owners there. Um, I don't go for the big games. I can't. It's, I want to watch the game. I want to enjoy the game. And every now and then, I want to curse at the TV and not feel like an idiot. Uh, it's so bit packed down there, but it's really indicative of, of where soccer is in St. Louis. Yes, yes. You know, because you go over there, um, you have indiv- individuals ranging from yourself and and Jim Leaker, uh, going all the way down to you've got a whole bunch of fresh twenty-one year olds that are driving in from Springfield, Illinois, or Cape Girardeau, Missouri, because St. Louis is broader from a broad standpoint, a soccer hub. But you have places like Amsterdam that are, they're Mecca. You know, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you'll see that in other cities. But again, the difference is, tell me how many players you've developed. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the back of my book and look at not just the national team players, but the people who played in the North American Soccer League, you know more than, that was a foreign dominated league and almost 5% of that entire league was from St. Louis. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's, the list is like, Hundred more than hundred guys you played in the NASL, so in ninety national championships. I mean, 
the, the, just to look at the facts, that tells you what kind of city St. Louis is as far as soccer goes. Yeah, and we've got a, uh, what is a 25-year late start to the game in the MLS League. So see how quickly we can outpace our, quote, rivals <laughs> yes, in the trophy case. That's going to be interesting. Uh, I, You know what? It's not going to take 25 years for us to you know match their trophies. That's my prediction early on. Um, Dave, thank you for your time. Um, really enjoyed this. Uh, let's let's quickly remind everybody uh, all the, the usual suspects: title and where can they buy it? Yep. Because you need to you need to sell some books, right? Soccer Maine, St. Louis: The History of the Game in America's First Soccer Capital. Um, only can we can we uh, uh, edition three? Can we do St. Louis's only soccer? Yes, capital? I'm hoping edition three we can change the, <laughs> change the subtitle. That'd be great, wouldn't it? That's uh, from awesome. Reedy Press. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, Schnooks. So it's 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 around. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, you're welcome anytime to come back on the show. Right. Hit us up. If you got anything you want to talk about? Uh, we got plenty of other people we could throw you on and have a chat with. It I'm sure it would be good for third edition or a recap of what they've already told you. Great. And my Twitter handle is Soccer Maiden STL. Uh, I'm on Facebook, David Lang. So that's where I put my daily <clears throat> today in St. Louis soccer history bits. So. Dave, thank you. Thank I you. appreciate it. And um, good luck with the book. Thank you very And much. I'm sure I'll see you at the stadium. And uh, adios. We'll talk thank to you. you soon. Thank you. Take care.